Introducing From the Glove Box, an automotive podcast with Mike and Tony Tadich, the father-son team and owners of Team T Automotive in Northern Indiana. Today we're talking about movie cars, how to buy tires, and the check engine light. So, hey, welcome again. This is uh, father and son team, uh, Mike and Tony Tadich coming to you from Northern Indiana. So how are you doing today, Tony? I'm, I'm alive in the glove box. So. Live in the glove box. That's true. I forgot to say we're coming from the glove box. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's our call title, I think. So, um, so hey, we were thinking about uh, different things to talk about, but, you know, Tony brought up before we popped on here, favorite? cars from movies or favorite movie cars you got some favorite movie cars you would like to uh, talk to everybody about today my number one all-time favorite movie car has to do with what we just talked about hmm from american graffiti oh boy the three window 1932 ford coupe yellow yeah the, uh, blown uh, uh sm- i think it had a blown small block in it i um, think i think so yeah I'm- so but uh, no fenders on it, uh, wide open rear tires and super wide rear tires. And I think it's uh, had a little drag race with a little guy named uh, Ronnie Howard. Uh, I can't remember if Ron Howard drove that or he drove the uh, the white uh, uh, four-door car. Uh, yeah, he did. Wasn't there a 55? Uh, Harrison Ford drove the 55 black Chevy. Yeah, so, that was that was my favorite. That yeah. card was that car was badass. But for that sure. car was modeled after the car. Oh, I can't remember which movie came first. If, if American Graffiti came first or Two Lane Blacktop came first, but oh. the 55 was shared between those two. The the same looking of the 55 car was shared between those two movies. So yeah, now that those are really cool cars, and that was back in the day, the 50s and 60s. I mean, cruising town. Uh, having a hot rod. Um, I remember even going back to my father-in-law, uh, professionally drag race, uh, Roy Trevino. And he, uh, grew up in uh, Corpus Christi, Texas, and he had a 57 Chevy factory fuel injected car. Um, and I remember my mother-in-law telling me people would come knock on the door at one o'clock in the morning and, and want to race. Cause they knew he had the hottest car in town and They'd go race and he'd win and he'd do whatever happened then. I'm not sure and stuff, but that was a, that was a way of life and stuff. Uh, and that really kind of opened up. Uh, we talked about in a segment before this uh, NHR, NHRA drag racing that opened up uh, people wanting to put drag racing in a safer mode than zipping up and down the street. But still, but, that car culture of that era was cool. You had drive-in uh, restaurants, you know, like Bonnie Dune, still in our area, uh, has that uh, for you nationwide or worldwide. Uh, uh, three or four viewers or listeners that we have at this point in time, uh, you know, everybody knows what Sonic is um, and stuff, but that was a pretty typical, normal uh, situation uh, to have, you know, your local drive-in restaurant and in fast food place and that's where a lot of car shows happen and a lot of cruising happen um you know right uh, over close to us there used to be a lot of cruises at a, a small town called goshen um had cruise nights and stuff that i know that you're uh, aware of uh, i used to cruise in mishawaka on a road called mckinley that after uh, nine o'clock at night uh, they shut down uh, one lane on each side to where you could only drive in one lane because they didn't want people cruising through there and stuff and just a uh, cool side of things that that has unfortunately uh slightly gone by the wayside at, at this point in time you don't see a lot of that so see how tony took this right off the he just 
took the car right off the road. We're talking yeah, about what's movie your, cars. What's your favorite movie car? <laughs> yeah, we're talking about movie cars, and then Tony's going down uh, memory lane, you know, with cruise plots, but places. But you know, everybody, I'm sure, in your cities, your towns, you had places you went and cruised and did different things, and uh, you know, different uh, different things going on. So, you know, I was thinking about that. I was trying to think of my favorite movie a car, a car from a movie. And I would throw out the bandit, Smokey and the bandit, Burt Reynolds, 1978, uh, Trans Am 400, uh, you know, uh, it was a Pontiac, uh, 400 B8. Uh, I think that was a big block in those things. I can't remember. No. I can't remember either. Yeah. I know they um, had a good motor and a crap motor. Yeah. They, yeah. They had the 403. That yeah. was a crap one. One of my buddies had that, but you know, that, that engine had the shaker hood scoop that shook in it and stuff, but it was an all Pontiac movie. If you always watch movies, um, there was always a sponsor of movies. Um, even uh, modern day, I watch, uh, uh, Yellowstone and uh, Dodge is a big Dodge, sponsor yeah. of that. They're all they're all over that and stuff. But there's always these sponsors of the movies and stuff. So, but if you went through that, that was a real cool story. Um, and there's all sorts of movies that had to do with you know driving across country and driving some hot rod and yeah some yeah so. the talking Trans Am kit. You had uh, <laughs> the Dukes of Hazard car. You had uh, uh, Lots of lots of cars, lots of car movies in in that era. And Dukes so. of Hazard was another. Uh, yeah, that was as you have different. Now we have all the reality shows, and we have all the uh, um, you know star shows, and all those you know. Uh, Fast and the Furious. Um, yeah, and, we yeah. had all those, but we had we had a lot of those different TV shows that were weekly TV shows. Kit, uh, it was the. Uh, um, you know, a, a weekly show and the Dukes of Hazard that was a weekly show. And, you know, they amazingly just ramped that car over rivers and highways and all this stuff. And it yeah, always I'm still trying to figure out what suspension that car had underneath <laughs> of it because that thing always stayed on the road. Yeah. It could have jumped uh, 15 school buses, Evil Knievel style, and nothing fell off of it. So, yeah, they d did do that, which you bring up another one, Evil Knievel. Wasn't wasn't a car, but the uh, you know, dude uh, did some amazing uh, motorcycle jumps and stuff. But yeah, there's a lot of amazing cars, and uh, you know, I think a lot of car manufacturers use the movie uh, business to uh, promote cars and sell cars, and that was that was pretty natural. They used to talk about uh, even in the old drag race days, race on Sunday, sell on Monday, and that was a whole idea. That's why manufacturers got behind so many different, uh, you know, whether it's NASCAR or drag racing or the movie business really started picking up. So, but it, well, I it's, think we got to throw three other movies out there real quick. We oh got boy. Steve McQueen and bullet. Uh, that's a good one, which was a great one. Yep. Um, that, I think that Mustang just sold in its original condition, the original car from that and sold for $5 million or something insane amount of money. Yeah. Um, then you got the two gone in 60 seconds, the original that, really wasn't as good and then the one movie that Nicolas Cage made that was actually good in his entire career which was gone in 60 seconds from my era that had the uh, Eleanor 67 fastback Mustang the one and only Mustang that I probably would ever own in my life other than that <laughs> I would never own a pile of crap Mustang in my life don't say that I mean we we are maybe more GM guys and but uh but uh yeah that was those no are Mustangs some, well those are some some pretty cool cars and stuff but if we have been primarily GM guys but um but uh no those are those are really really cool cool sh uh 
uh, movies, shows, all the, all these different things. Uh, but you know, the, it really comes down to this is it's America's love with the automobile. Um, you can watch all sorts of great, uh, you know, the history of automobiles, uh, um, has been on, you know, several different, uh, shows and stuff. And they go back and show how the Dodge brothers and the, you know, Henry Ford and, you know, the Oldsmobile and Lewis Chevrolet and all, all the people and, you know, all the things and Carol Shelby and all the amazing Ford versus things. Ferrari was a great movie oh, that Ford, just came out. Yeah. That was a great, great newer movie, Ford versus Ferrari. That was a, that was a really amazing things. And we're just really talking about American cars through this. I mean, there's obviously an amazing amount of, uh, you know, cars made in uh, Europe and uh, Japan and stuff like that too. So but, uh, that's our little bit about the, our favorite movie cars for this segment. Hey, Mike, hey, Tony. I was wondering about buying some tires and how to choose uh, what tires to buy. All I see is uh, different prices, man, and just hoping to get some advice on it. Hey, so the caller, uh, if I understand what the caller was asking about, it's uh, I've, I've Googled or I've got on uh, one of the big warehouses uh, and looked up tires for my car. How do I choose the, ni- the correct tires for my car? Because um, if I go, let's just say you drive, a, you know, an average, uh, you know, can- Toyota Camry. I mean, there's probably 80, 100 different choices and tires least. for that car. Uh, so how do I choose one? I mean, they may be from $60, $70 to $200. You have this big range. And I know what the car came with and all those types of things. Um, understand one thing, your car came with new tires, and maybe you got 50,000 miles, 40,000 miles, and you're replacing them. Um, and how do I buy that next set of tires? It's not always based on what the car has on because it was brand new and everything's tight then and things loosen up. But, Tony, could you share with uh, share with our audiences? Uh, how do you pick out a good tire for your car? The first piece of information that I want to go to is not necessarily picking out the tire. It's making sure what tire, what size of tire that your car actually takes. And very few people understand this, that in every single driver's side door jam, unless your car had major body damage or major body work or paint work, there's a sticker in your driver's side door jam that says the exact size that your tire should be the exact air pressure that the tire should be set at, the exact size of the spare tire, and the pressure that should be in the spare tire. I think it would be great if most people uh, uh, educated themselves to make sure that that tire that they're choosing for their car or the tire that's currently on their car is the proper size for the vehicle. Um, some some vehicles, the vehicle that I drive personally has oversized tires on it, it but I obviously sought professional opinion to make sure that those tires would fit and work for my car. His professional opinion, each sought mine, I think, got his dad's opinion because mm-hmm. he knows I know everything about cars. Yeah, I think I sought my own. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, crap. Okay. I thought, um, I thought he was going to give me a attaboy there, but I guess not. But uh, So, in, in just so everybody knows, your, your tire size is on the sidewall of your tire also. If I'm choosing tires... Um, I think the first thing we want to ask is a couple questions of, uh, of a customer, Tony, what questions would you ask, ask somebody that, uh, says, Hey, I want to get a new set of tires for my car. A lot of times I want to know how long they plan on keeping the car or how many miles per year that they drive the car. Yeah. What, what kind of miles do you drive? What kind of weather do you drive? I mean, if you, again, we're in, uh, in Northern Indiana, so you may drive 
you know, 30 miles to work on wintry, slick, uh, crazy roads, um, that makes a big difference. How many miles do you drive a year? Um, maybe, you know, in this day and age, we have a lot more people that are stay at home. Uh, but we want to, we want to know how many miles you drive and stuff. But, um, there is an interesting fact about this. So somebody says, well, I stay at home. I don't, I don't leave. I don't need uh 60, 70,000 mile tire, but tell, tell everybody, Tony, the, the reason why you may want to choose a 60 or 70,000, a higher mileage tire, even though you may not drive too many miles. In most cases, the quality of the rubber actually increases with a, a better tire or a longer lasting tire. So for instance, a lot of cars, uh, I'll, I'll have, I helped a neighbor, uh, last week, put his spare tire on and he had a 2012 Ford F-150 or something, uh, in his driveway and stuff. And he lives right behind me and they couldn't get the spare tire down. So I went over there and helped him, uh, figure that out and stuff. And, and he's like, you know, well, I could just buy three tires and match up to this one tire and stuff. And we talked a little bit about that. I'm like, yeah, you can. However, that spare tire is from 2011. So that tire's 10 years old right now. Do you really want to have a 10-year-old tire on with three tires that are probably one to two years old? And what a lot of people don't realize too is, is tires have life dates on them, just like, uh, just like a can of beer has a life date on it now, or produce has, has uh, best used-by dates. Tires have the date that it was manufactured on. It's it's at the very end of the DOT number. It's the last four digits. Uh, the first two digits are the week, and the last two digits are the year. So DOT number is uh, like a serial number that they stamp into a tire, so it tells us we can professionally read that on when that was made. Because rubber is like most any other product, or like Tony said, like beer, which honestly around our house we make sure they never expire we always want to make sure we get them uh drink before they yep. get done we're not going to let them go bad that's that's just uh that's called a beer foul we're not yep. going to have that happen um but tony's right T- tires are stamped with that about eight years is uh about the maximum on that so you may think that tire has been underneath the truck and and can be reused but it's really not good it, it uh, will fail prematurely the other thing i think tony uh, what we were talking about with this is is this you can't get a low mileage tire with great traction and great ride. Um, it doesn't work that way. If ride is important to you, quietness, smoothness, and great traction on all sorts of road conditions, you've got to buy a, a higher mileage tire. Um, so another, another thing I've had recently a lot, and, and you can explain this a little bit too, is I've had people come in with uh, 15, 20,000 miles on their car and, and be really angry that their tires are worn out. Explain to them the reason why uh, 15 or 20,000 mile tires on brand new cars are wearing out right now. Well, when you think about this, we, we make modern automobiles that, you know, your grandparents probably got, didn't, never drove a car past 100,000 miles. And if they did, they were probably rebuilding the engine. Well, modern cars can go two, three, 400,000 miles. I mean, the, the ingenuity with them, we all get mad when our car breaks. I get that. But they last a they last lot, lot longer. Tires really haven't kept up with that. Um, and here's the reason. A lot of the reason is they're all-wheel drive vehicles. Um, they're, you know, front-wheel drive. They have all sorts of different, you know, versions. Now we have taller uh, tires that are 18, 19-inch, big wheels, small sidewalls. 
um, and, and all the different turns of those. So we just don't get the mileage. Uh, the mileage has not increased in tires the way the longevity of a car has. Um, it's, it's really changed. So if you have an all-wheel drive vehicle and you've got 10,000 miles on it and one tire goes bad, you really need to replace all four tires. And it sucks because um, I, I don't want to throw away three good tires, but they all have to match and they have to match equally because of rotation. If they're off even a sixteenth of an inch at 60 miles an hour, it's massively different and it could cause other damage uh, to your car. But in addition to that, though, think about this on new cars. If a person only has 15 or 20,000 miles on the car and the tires are worn out, a lot of times it's because Toyota, Honda, GM, whoever the manufacturer is, goes to Goodyear and says, I like that tire. I like that tread. I need it to meet these EPA requirements to where my car will get the certain gas mileage and that type of stuff as far as rolling resistance and everything goes. But I don't want to pay $100 a tire. I want to pay 60 So Goodyear goes and makes a tire specifically for that manufacturer that is only going to last maybe fifteen or 20,000 miles, and you're going to have to buy tires prematurely. That doesn't necessarily mean that that tire is a bad tire. I have a lot of people come in and say, well, those, those Goodyear's or those Bridgestones only lasted 15 or 20,000 miles. I don't want that tire. And most of the time when you're buying tires, you're not buying the original equipment style tire that was built to those specs. You're buying the aftermarket tire that was built to the specs that's advertised. The tire that should get you 50 to 70,000 miles. Um, so a lot of people have to keep that in mind when they're looking at brands of tires. That That's a good point because then we'll wrap up this segment, but tire manufacturers will take a certain size and a certain name on the tire, whatever brand name, and but they'll negotiate the price down. So we'll, as professionals, we'll go look at the exact same tire for your car and see it rated at 30,000 miles for the original equipment. And there'll be a 40, 50, 60, 70,000 mile same version of that tire that's going to last a lot longer. That's a great point that uh, Tony picked up on. So a little bit with this, I would say this, find a good tire professional, good independent service center uh, that that does a great job with tires and and let them help you uh, figure that out. Um, and, uh, and that's a great point. Be careful with big box stores and tires too, because big box stores like Costco, like Discount Tire, like a lot of those places, have agreements set up to where they have very specific tires that are built just for them. Yeah. And those tires may not meet the specs of what the other tire does uh, as well that you can get from a, a good dealership or independent aftermarket automotive repair facility um, that, that knows tires. Good, good point with that. So that's our little bit on tires for this week. So, hey, Tony, how many times a day coming into our shops does the call say, hey, I've got my check engine light on. How much is how much is it to fix that? A lot. <laughs> so our segment uh, today is going to be about the check engine light. So the first thing I'm going to hit on is what the color of your check engine light is. What color is it, Mike I- or dad? I think, yeah, I'm I'm both, but uh, I think it's kind of orangishy, orangish yellow, yeah. something like that. Okay, yeah. So what a lot of people don't realize is the trouble lights on the dash of your car. The reason that they're colored y- either red or yellow is your red lights mean that you should stop. 
your yellow lights mean proceed with caution. That's a good point. Think about that. So when your brake light comes on red and flashing, um, when don't all, talk about flashing yet, I was going to hit that in a second. <laughs> okay. Stole his thunder already, but, but, uh, but think about that. It is a yellowish color or just yellow in most automobiles for caution, not stop, pull over, get out, walk away. It's going to catch on fire and you know, all those yeah, types of things. So exactly. So good, good, good point with that. The reason that the check engine light will flash at times for those of you that have experienced that is because that's the way to take a yellow light and make you want to stop the car by making the yellow light flash. Okay. So, so if you're, if you're sharing with the audience, a flashing check engine light is I better stop right away and seek help or seek figure help. something out. Yeah, call a tow truck, call your shop, whatever. Okay, yeah. good point. Flashing so, check engine light is much worse than just a check engine yeah. light on. The, the the issue with a check engine light anymore is it, it, it's widely known as a check engine light or a service engine soon light. The problem with it is, is that check engine light could turn on for thousands of different reasons on the modern car. Thousands of different reasons that have nothing to do with your engine. So it has an effect on your engine, but may not have anything to do with your engine. It could turn on for your gas cap. It could turn on for a transmission problem. It could turn on for a misfire that does have to do with your engine. It could turn on for a multitude of different things. So it has to do with once your vehicle senses a problem, the check engine light will turn on. It also doesn't necessarily mean that that problem is occurring right now. And also because your check engine light turned on and then miraculously turned off doesn't mean that your problem went away. You could still have a problem going on. And most of the time people don't realize that they'll, they'll call up. I get this call a lot. Hey, my check engine's light, engine light's on. Can I get into you tomorrow? And we'll schedule it for the next day. And then the next day, the customer won't show up. And we'll call the customer and we'll be like, hey, where are you at? You know, we got everything ready to go for you and stuff. And the next sentence out of their mouth is, oh, my light turned off. Well, a lot of people don't realize that you're still occurring a problem in a lot of cases. And maybe the amount of key cycles have gone through time to where that light turned off. So quick thing on that. Tony said key cycles. That's when you shut your car off, restart it, shut it off, restart it. After so many um, start and stop of the car. If that, or, uh, if that, um, symptom, that problem isn't going on, that light will go off and will come back on. So I want you to think about this check engine light that is on for a couple of days and then goes off. It's like having, um, you feel like you're going to have a heart attack. Um, you know, you got this chest pain and then it goes away. You don't just let it go, you know, by the wayside. You still need to go see a doctor and find out before you have a heart attack that you're going to have a heart attack. A check engine light is made for you to be able to to give you a warning before something catastrophic goes bad. And it's not all catastrophic either. The negative no. things, Tony, I would share with a check engine light with everybody is this. It's it's too many things with one light. Yep. Um, cause it will never come on. If you're out of oil, it will never come on in most cases, not every car, but most of them, it won't come out if, if you're out of coolant, if your car's going to overheat, it doesn't come on for that. It's purely the electronic monitoring of the car yeah. and all the different things. Yes, it can cause some other issues, but it doesn't come on for some catastrophic thing. So it's a, it's a light that 
you know, we tried to make, when people built cars, we try to make it universal between all brands and it's become this catch-all, but it's too big. We should have 10 lights um, on your car versus one, but we try to keep it simple so we don't have that. Um, It won't come on in most cases for a mechanical reason. Unless it causes something to misfire electronic. I had a customer a couple of weeks ago ask why my check engine light never turned on on a Honda. And the Honda engine had locked up and literally thrown internal engine components through the side of the engine block. And and he's asking me, why did my check engine light never turn on? And it's like, well, because <laughs> the car never misfired until uh, you were probably at 65 miles an hour and threw literally rods through the side of the engine block. Yeah. And I was, uh, before we got onto the segment, I was going to pull up this quick picture for our, we have an engineer named Brody that does an amazing job for us on this podcast. So we always thank him for that. But I was going to show him a picture of, uh, you know, this person that uh, check engine light comes on, she gets out of the car and she goes open the hood and uh, looks and says, nope, everything looks good. Closes the hood. That's not what check engine means. <laughs> so, well, and, and that brings up the the next point is, So many people in so many parts stores think that a code, which is what comes out when the check engine light turns on, that's what you put a code reader, plug a code reader in for, or a scanner. There's this fallacy that once you have a code, that means that's exactly what you should fix. And so many people don't truly understand that a code is not a fixing point. It's a starting point. The code is the path. So... That's why you need somebody that knows how to perform proper tests and procedures, preferably an ASC certified technician or a factory certified technician to perform a series of tests and procedures on your vehicle to be able to identify what that code is. I can't tell you how many cars have come into our shop that have gone to a parts store, had the codes read, and they buy parts and parts and parts and parts, and the car never gets fixed. And then they simply bring it to us. We pop the hood. It looks like a parts store underneath the hood with everything that's brand new. And the simple reason that their their code was coming up was because there was a connection issue with one of the connectors or a wiring issue going to that connector. And it would have taken a simple test and procedure from a, from a uh, technician with a lot less money than what they spent on parts in that car to be able to, to properly identify the issue of that vehicle. That's a really good point, and we'll we'll wrap this up, but I'll give you this quick pointer for everybody listening out there. Think of, uh, we live in northern Indiana. If I want to go see Aunt Sally in Phoenix, if I put in my GPS Phoenix, um, it's going to show me where Phoenix is, but it's not going to show me her um, suburb. It's not going to show me her street her street address. It's not going to show me any of those details. That's what basic code readers and stuff do. When you go to a professional service center, um, we're going to get you to 127 Maple Street, Phoenix, Arizona, whatever the zip code is, and it's going to get you to the details. That's the difference between professional scanners. I mean, Tony, we have fifty, sixty, seventy thousand $70,000 worth of scanners in our shops. Um, that do amazing things, um, not a $20 code reader. But think of your GPS. It's That's the difference when you come to a professional shop. We can pinpoint it. And, it you know, there may be multiple issues. We sometimes also have to fix the first known problem. But think of the, think of the uh, proper testing as a GPS and getting it specifically pinpointed to that address. 
that's a little bit about check engine lights and we could talk a whole lot more about that but check engine lights was a little bit about our segment this time around This is Mike and Tony Tadich, father and son, uh, automotive shop owners from uh, Indiana, coming to you with another uh, From the Glove Box. Just want to bring you every week a little segment on, you know, just the fun stuff of automobiles, maybe a little tip on uh, servicing your everyday driver, and uh, have call-in questions also that uh, that we like to answer. So uh, love hanging out with you, and we'll wait to see you next time around. Anything go going, Tony? Time to close the glove box. Time to close the glove box. Take care, everybody. Have a question for Mike and Tony? Call it in at 888-201-0858. This podcast is brought to you by TMT Automotive and Momentum Drives Marketing.